Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Oh boy, we have some interesting topics ahead. Narcissism. You know, I hear this word thrown around all the time. And in some ways, I haven't quite understood it because I really do think it's overused. It's an actual diagnosis, and we're going to talk about narcissism today. Maybe you yourself are a narcissist. Maybe you know someone and you're in a relationship with someone who is a narcissist, or maybe it's something you experienced in your family of origin, and it's impacted you today. We'll actually be joined by marriage and family counselor, licensed marriage and family counselor, Michelle Muff. It's such an important topic uh, because we need to heal. And I think there's a Catholic take, there's a theological take on the topic of narcissism. It's also National Singles Parenting Awareness Day. There's a singles, or sorry, there's a day for everything today. Um, but single parenting is a topic not discussed enough within the context of the Catholic Church. We're going to dive into that today on the trending, as well as a big hefty topic, and that is the Trinity. If you want to have some fundamental things in your repertoire and your understanding of God as a Trinity. Today's the day, so stay with us for that conversation. Number is 1-888-914-9149. If you have a question for my guest today, again, that's Michelle Muff. She can be found at Compassion Counseling Services. She's a, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. I think a lot of people... No one, I think, actually really plans to be a single parent. Even people who in their years heading into their later 40s, 30s, 50s, decide they want a child and adopt or use surrogacy. There's a lot of conversation. We could talk about that. That's a topic for another day. Um, But parents, you know, as a last resort, sometimes turn to trying to have a child on their own terms with single parenting in the later years in life. But most cases that we're talking about today, especially in the context, within the context of the church, is single parenting where it wasn't something anyone ever chose. You find yourself there. Maybe you feel isolated. Maybe you feel like a single parent uh, and you aren't at this time. Uh, but it's not what anyone really had planned for themselves. And I think especially within the context of being a Catholic single parent, uh, you kind of have to ask this question, what now? You don't necessarily see or maybe you're not aware of a lot of other single Catholic parents. They are out there. and There are many. And so you don't really have that support for, well, what does it look like to raise my child without the God-given and ordained goal and hope um, to have two parents raising a child. And so we're going to discuss this today. My guest is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She's actually a single parent of children between the ages of 26 and 11. Uh, She had two prior marriages that were declared null within the Catholic Church, meaning she received an annulment. A declaration of nullity means there never was a marriage that existed because there was something at the time of the vows, when the vows were taken, um, that showed that that marriage was not entered into in a legitimate way. So to talk about the topic of single parenting, both from her professional experience as well as her personal experience, is Michelle Muff. Michelle, welcome to Trending. Thank you so much for having me here today. 
So let's talk about single parenting. I know this is something you find often in your practice as a therapist. Uh, Where do single parents, I think, fit into this narrative today in the Catholic um, context of being able to live as a single parent when that wasn't the ideal? That wasn't what someone planned. And here they are, you know, bitterness and resentment often build up. And there's a strong desire to give your child what was that kind of God-given plan and mission for a mother and a father, that blueprint. But that's not where you're at. And so you need to work in filling that role for your parent, for your children. And here you are as a parent. So let's unpack this. The first thing I want to say to all the single parents listening is that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Because I think a lot of times, having gone through a divorce, there's a sense of shame. And that shame can keep you far away from the arms of God. And so it's most important to understand that you are loved, that God doesn't look at your past in your identity. Your identity is in the heart of the Father and in his love. And that's what I would encourage all the single parents or anyone listening, even if you're not a single parent, the importance of entering into the heart of the father to go to taking that time to really knowing him and receiving his love, because it's only that love that can really heal you and kick that shame to the curb. Because that shame is not from God. More than often, that shame, that narrative of shame that people carry, this is just one area that people can it is from Satan himself surrounding you and attacking you with that voice that says you don't belong here you shouldn't be a Catholic you should leave the Catholic Church or you should you shouldn't God doesn't love you anymore so that would be my first message is God's love for you and even if you're not feeling it in the church when you go into church or you're not feeling that sense of community you can find that community on the basis of hey I'm Catholic I love Jesus you love Jesus yeah we all have our different talks and narratives. The church is made up of broken men and women. Jesus's heritage, he's from, um, you know, a, a blended family in, in some set, in, uh, extent. So, um, so looking at it through the eyes of heritage of the Gospels, where we look in the heritage of Jesus, his line was not perfect either. And we as human beings are not perfect. And so we bring our fractured humanity, our decisions and everything to Christ. For that healing. And I appreciate that you mentioned the topic of shame because I think every Catholic in their own ways uh, carries shame. That's our conscience kicking in. And it's this moment mm-hmm. where we haven't quite met the ideal. We failed at meeting the ideal. There's been sin in our lives, bad choices, or sometimes just the sense of abandonment that has occurred. Uh, it's often in many people's lives who are single parents. And you carry that. And sometimes you feel like it's a, you know, a target on your back, depending on whatever that is that you carry. But single parenting, I really do think, is a, an isolated group of individuals. Well, should I say people who feel isolated in the church? I'd love to hear from your perspective, especially having experienced this yourself, what fortifies you as a single parent, as your baseline to then parent your child while you're missing that masculine dimension in a certain respect in that upbringing? Again, it is the church. It is God the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And I know you're going to talk about the Trinity later. It's Jesus. It's that foundational love with the Holy Trinity. It's And some of the coping skills that I would recommend for a single um, parent Catholic men and women is getting to daily mass as much as you can, getting to adoration, receiving confession, 
all the saying the rosary. They might seem old fashioned, but these are the things that are going to, to give you fuel because it is not an easy journey and you need mm -hmm. all the support you can. So I would start with that. I would start going up into the heart of the father, utilizing the Catholic faith. You, all of those are open to you. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a sinner or a saint, all those things. You could still, you know, you want to get to confession. Of course, you don't want to receive the Eucharist, um, you know, with mortal sin, obviously. You want to receive, but all of those are gifts so that you can, you need more of them. You need more of God than even, you know, like a, a, two parents obviously have their struggles, but you need more of that relationship, I believe, as a single parent to, to help you in this journey. And then you brought up masculine or feminine, you know, if you have, uh, if the, the co-parent or if that part is still in your life, managing that relationship is very key, you know, and, and making sure that the children, if everything is safe in both homes, making sure that they have um, that relationship, you're supportive of that relationship as much as you can. So if possible, co-parenting the best of your knowledge so that you can have both worlds right available to them uh, sometimes co-parenting can be really hard and you have to move into something called parallel parenting so it, it is important i'm very supportive father mothers both of them uh supporting the children but in terms of going back to how does that single parent manage that it, it's back to that foundational relationship with christ it's back to seeking support with family and friends uh, and there's a whole host of ever, other coping skills I could talk about. I think you touched on a really important topic that is often, I think, um, disregarded, but is a fundamental part of if you find yourself single parenting and you're a Catholic. And that is, you mentioned the support of the other parent. I've really dug a lot into the work of people such as Layla Miller and others who have talked about the impact of divorce on children um, when they become adults and how that divorce has been carried with them. And she often talks about how um, in kind of this bitterness and criticism of one parent for the other parent, the children can really experience and think that they are being rejected for the other half of themselves. So let's say, you know, dad is criticizing and complaining about mom. Um, they just don't take that as, hey, you're criticizing, complaining about my mom. You're criticizing and complaining and rejecting half of me. And so I really appreciate that you mentioned that supportiveness and that complementarity that has to be fought for when you find yourself in the separation, in this annulment type of situation where you can't ignore the fact, although the marriage may not have been um, been a true marriage, there's still true children that came from that and navigating that as a challenge. So if you could speak a little bit more to that humility and the need for that complementarity, even when the two are apart as parents. Yes, I have studied this as well. And the best case scenarios is when there's fluidity between the both homes as much as possible. And so that is not always the case. You can't always have that fluidity, that freedom, you know, exchanging, going from one to open communication. Obviously, communication is needed for that fluidity to go back and forth. But if you've been through a divorce, there is a breakdown in communication. So that is going to be something that most divorced couples struggle with is having that open going back and forth. If you're one of them that that works, that's the best case scenario. But if you're one of them where it's just uh, a breakdown, even in the parenting, 
then my advice is to be the best parent you can on your side of the divide. That means um, you can't change the other person. If, if you feel the other person, the other partner that you had, your ex-spouse is alienating you, there's nothing you can do about that. You have to move into letting go and you have to focus on, I want to be the best parent I can on my side. That means even though I feel I'm targeted, I'm not going to target him when that child is with me. Because ultimately that child, if one of the parents is being alienated, that child is going through a psychological splitting. Mm -hmm. They don't know what side to choose. And if one is being targeted, they're split in two. And so they're forced to choose a side because they can't handle the pressure. And ultimately, they're, unfortunately, from what I've read, they are going to choose the side of the parent that's doing the targeting because mm -hmm. they're more scary. So mm -hmm. they'll choose that side. And so it's very difficult. Um, and, and it does require a lot of humility to say, you know what? I'm responsible for me. I cannot change or control the other person as much as I want to. And then move into that is one of the greatest sufferings, moving into the suffering of the cross and then loving that child as much as you can. None of us can be perfect parents, but we can strive to be a good enough parent as best as possible. And that does take humility. Mm -hmm. And speaking as highly as you can of another human being, I think we live in a culture, you know, the gossip magazine culture, from the social media culture, the news culture, you know, we tend to focus on the faults, the flaws of the world and other people, our leaders, people we know in our local communities. And I think that from a Catholic perspective, you know, withholding our tongue from the quick criticism of others, even when it's legitimate or even when it's just, but out of a sense of compassion for those who need to hear the good of others, uh, including those themselves. And it makes me think about, you know, the support system, you know, whether you're a friend, a sibling, a parent of, you know, someone who is single parenting, how important it is not to um, add fuel to the fire of criticism for the other spouse when uh, so many single parents are already trying to fight so hard those difficult circumstances and be uh, that complementary parent toward the other parent in front of their children. Right, which requires the mercy of Christ. And that's why uh, that, that going back to the, the love of the Father, and if maybe you, you made a mistake, you said something, you should go get to confession. Confess it and restart again. Try as best you can to, like you said, with being able to know when to say something, when not to say something. That prudence is very important. I think that that can only be done really into, into the heart of the Father and through, through Jesus' love. These, these things are very difficult. Without my faith, I don't know how I would have gotten through these sufferings. That's Michelle Muff, licensed marriage and family therapist here on Relevant Radio. You're listening to Trending with Timory. If you have a question, maybe you're a single parent and you have a question for licensed marriage and family therapist, Michelle Muff, she's happy to take that question. Something really key that you mentioned, Michelle, and you know, you speak to this from experience of being a single parent as well as a licensed marriage and family therapist who is Catholic, how available the sacraments are to all 
all of us, no matter what state in life you're in, um, that that is available to you. You know, those aren't just for intact families. So those aren't just for, you know, people who seem like they're living their Catholic faith really well. You said, you know, going to daily mass, receiving um, communion regularly and worthily, you know, going to confession often. I think those are such important things that you mentioned. I know one other thing that I'd like to touch on briefly when you were talking about confession, we were talking before the show about how important it is to take those feelings as a single parent of resentment and bitterness and anger that can arise. Can you talk through the importance um, psychologically of going through confession to aid you in that mental health journey, but also as a parent, um, caring for yourself as well as your children with that? I love confession. It is one of the most beautiful sacraments because one of the things that the church gifts, gifts us with is reoccurring contemplation. What can I do better? Where are the areas in my sin with others? Where have I fallen short with God? Where have I fallen short in um, these, you know, these types of sin? And isn't that beautiful that the church installs this time of contemplation where we can go and say, okay, let me think, how can I improve on these things? And then the ability to actually speak to someone, a human being, a priest representing Christ and receive that. That's all good psychology. Because when you're speaking to a counselor, you're speaking the problems. You're, but this, this is even greater than that. This is the sacrament. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit to meet you and say, you know, yes, I hear you. You are forgiven. You know, do this penance. How liberating is that? And so that is definitely beautiful. It's a good psychological tool. Everything is built into that in terms of the narrative of the mind being able to speak you know, out loud, there's a lot of truth in connecting the right and left side of the brain as we speak to another, you know, they, the joke is hairdressers, bartenders, and therapists, <laughs> the ones that you talk to, <laughs> right? Um, and I, I'm able to get paid, you know, because I have the training, I have years and years of training for this, but people do talk to the hairdressers too, do people do go there. And so now we have a representation of Christ, in the in the priest to to speak to mm -hmm. so how beautiful is that that's wonderful i love that's it licensed marriage and family therapist michelle muff you can find her at compassionmn.com that's compassionmn.com We'll post a link to her website in the episode notes. We're talking about single parenting. This is your opportunity to have that support, that community as a single parent within the Catholic Church. Candid Catholic advice and guidance. So if you have a question, you're a single parent, the number is 1-888-914-9149. You can ask it now on social media as well. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. -E. Coming up, we're going to talk about the topic of narcissism. Uh, it's a term often thrown, away, thrown around all the time now. Everyone's labeled as a narcissist, whether you're following pop culture, everyone's labeling Meghan Markle as a narcissist, or everyone's calling someone else a narcissist uh, in their own relationships and challenges they experience. What is it? How does it impact your relationships? How does it impact other relationships if it's something you experience in your home of origin? We'll talk about that in just a moment with licensed marriage and family therapist Michelle Muff, and we're also going to unpack the Catholic Church's teaching on the Trinity to help equip you to better understand God himself in that great gift of who he is, the Trinity. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149.
the area of mental health and relationships and just pop culture when it comes to both of those things. Narcissism is a term you hear thrown around often, not to mention often with regard to Meghan Markle. I think that that's like the word that's always associated with her name when I read any headline of late. Uh, but to talk about narcissism and explain what it is, how it impacts relationships, how it impacts future relationships, if it's something you experience in your family of origin, we'll talk about that today with Michelle Muff. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, let's start, Michelle, with what is narcissism so that we have that baseline to actually understand what it is and not just toss it around ignorantly, as I think sometimes can happen today. Well, narcissism is a diagnosis from the DSM-5. So when you're talking about narcissism, it is a cluster B personality diagnosis that can only be diagnosed by a licensed professional. And even in my practice, I, I do not diagnose uh, most, even, even if I think someone has narcissism, I do not do the psychological tests that are needed for reliability and validity to say, okay, you took the Milan, you took the, the Minnesota M MMPI. Okay, we know uh, with an insurance without you have a narcissistic personality disorder. Without that, what we're looking at is narcissism tendencies, right? We're looking at, okay, they may or may not um, meet part of these. And there's a lot of blending with the cluster B personality disorders. There's borderline personality disorder, there's antisocial personality, there's histrionic personality disorders, and all these kind of blend together. And so you may be looking at what's a borderline and call them narcissistic, or you may be looking at an antisocial call. So really, it's really important to understand that that, that word is thrown out carelessly because we are seeing a lot of egocentric driven behavior by many people in pop, pop culture or in politics, but it's not necessarily a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that you helped to clarify that it is a personality disorder. It's meant to be diagnosed. There can be tendencies that we point to, but that's in part part of the very self-centered culture we live in as a result of the fall. But also, I think materialistically in the 21st century, and we're living in a time that is so, I think, um, it's turning in on itself. I think part of the challenge of that is just the way we know about every crisis in the world worldwide, that we sometimes implode and we can't handle all the difficulty in the world. And so the way to cope is kind of just turning on ourselves, which is fascinating when you kind of study some of the behavioral patterns if you come from a flame live origin with that type of uh, experience. So let's unpack a little bit what relationships, um, what types of relationships does narcissism impact? I think we could track back if you want to look at your earliest childhood experiences and you can look, go back to your family of origin, right? You want to look at your mother relationship, your father relationship and see how were emotions, emotions tended to, were they dismissed, were you belittled? Um, is there some type of attachment deficit that you carry because of abuse? Was there physical abuse, sexual abuse? Was there alcoholism in your home? then you're going to probably be looking at a lot to unpack. And partly because of that abuse, there may be some sort of narcissistic type parenting that you may have been affected by. So you want to look at that because and you want to, you want to really manage that because especially with young adults that haven't gotten married yet, because that can influence who you are attracted to 
you could potentially marry someone with the same tendencies that were brought up with you in childhood. We actually have a question coming in about this. Darren in San Antonio, Texas has a question about covert narcissism. Um, let's go ahead and take this question. Darren, welcome to Trending. What is your question today for licensed marriage and family therapist Michelle Muff? Uh, my apologies first for not really being able to, to quantify my question very easily, but my ex-wife accused me of being a covert narcissist. Um, in her definition of the way she described it, it was something that only she was close enough to me to be able to ascertain that if I were to go to a therapist, that a therapist would be manipulated by me and I could therefore not ever know if I'm a covert narcissist. And I just wondered if there's some kind of litmus test that would allow me to, to know. I don't want to Im impact my children in any any negative way. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I want to, I, I want some kind of resolution. I feel like in looking at, at, at this whole thing and, and into narcissism, she, I feel like I'm being gaslit by her in some way. And, and I'm just, I'm just grasping at straws to try to come to some closure um, with the end of my marriage and, and responsibility that I take in that. And mm. I can't seem to find it. Oh, Darren, we are, I commend you for your desire to address this, to change, to grow, to fill your fatherly duties. You know, just the fact that you're calling shows how important this is to you, that you're taking this comment from your um, wife legitimately to help take that into, you know, growing and caring for your children. Uh, so the question I think is a great question, Darren, of how do I self-evaluate this to see, is this a problem and how do I change and grow and address it? Um, Michelle Muff, if you could go ahead and answer that question. Yes, and I can hear the pain in his voice and, mm. and just the, the difficulty. And this is why it's just such an important uh, issue for me because a lot of times we have compassion towards um, others because we have gone through the same sorrow, right? And so I can hear that in his voice. So, and, and, and also hear that he's seeking some answers. He's looking at himself. Like, I don't want to be a narcissist and I don't want that to affect my children. So he's, he's seeking some self-introspection. Am I? Am I not? And that tells me more than likely he's not because narcissists don't do that. <laughs> narcissists are not going to go uh, more than likely more often than that. They're not going to seek counseling because they don't have a problem in their mind. They aren't. It's the other person. So most narcissists do a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blaming, a lot of projection. And what I hear in Darren is he's really seeking to understand himself. And I would encourage him to seek professional counseling uh, for this issue and, you know, kind of dismiss like no one's going to know if you are a covert or not because you hide it or whatever. Go get a good therapist that specializes in your area. Look up uh, catholictherapist.net. You can find um, that's for the whole United States. Find one in your area. Find one you can filter out that specializes in this. And if you still are confused, you could always seek um, to take some of those those reliable and valid tests they're they're long so just one test alone can take two hours but that would give you a really good write-up and indication am i on the spectrum am i not um, if you really want to be lay your fears to, to rest uh, but the, the, one of the main characteristics is empathy are you able to empathize with your children uh, are you able to empathize with others right are you able 
to put yourself in the shoes of others, uh, manage your emotions, and manage the others. That's a really good uh, point, if you can look at that within yourself, to understand how am I handling my emotions? How do I handle others? Because empathy is something that narcissistic personality disorder more than not do not have. And I thought that that was key, what you just said, the ability to empathize, that that's key. If you can show empathy, or maybe if you're sitting here going, I don't know what empathy is. I don't know what you mean. That might be, right, a good sign you're struggling with empathy. Um, or if you know, you know, you are struggling, that there's something, you know, maybe you just don't have a response. If someone comes to you with something difficult or they're in a situation, you just, you know, maybe shut off or change the topic. It's interesting to see um, how that can play out. But you mentioned catholictherapist.com to seek out a counselor to help you through. I think everyone is certain respect does need uh sometimes we do do that check-in with a therapist to see like hey this is what's going on this is where i'm at uh and it's not i think uh, the stigma of our culture, often people stigmatize therapy, but often it helps us to say, am I thinking right? Am I functioning right in my relationships? And you go and you can have that great support, especially from a Catholic therapist. You mentioned catholictherapist.com. Fantastic resource. Darren, we are praying for you. We'll just, let's pray, Michelle, with Darren. We'll pray a uh, Hail Mary together. I know Darren's still on the line. So we'll pray. And Darren, if you want to pray the response, Michelle and I, uh, I will pray um, for you as well. And for any parents out there who are single parenting, struggling um, with uh, a marriage that has fallen apart, um, let's pray now for all those marriages that are struggling. We pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We pray for Darren and his family and all of these marriages that are struggling, these families that are struggling, single parents. We pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Darren, go ahead. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Hope, pray for us. Pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. St. Joseph, Glory of Domestic Life. Pray, Pray for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're listening to Trending with Marie here on Relevant Radio. That's Michelle Muff, licensed marriage and family therapist. We're talking a lot about narcissism, single parenting, uh, such a heavy topic. Let's we start with defining narcissism. Can you tie that connection of abuse to narcissism? Because you and I were talking about this earlier today before the show, and I do think it's really important to see that manipulative connection and how it can um, walk its way to an abusive type of situation. Manipulative connection. Yes. Ross Rosenberg actually wrote a book titled Why We Love Those Who Hurt Us. You know, the human magnet syndrome. Why we love those who hurt us. And what he talks about, it's really interesting because he has a continuum. On one side, there's an emotional manipulator. And then on the other side, there's the codependent. And he says, you put 100 people in the room and the emotional, emotional manipulator will find the codependent codependent will find the emotional manipulator and they'll walk out hand in hand like a lock and key in a fiery passionate relationship so i think sometimes we also have to look to ourselves and say why was i attracted to this person what was going on within me what was going on within my family of origin that led me to pick this person or pick that person and we need to move into healing ourselves into the heart of the father keep on coming back to the heart of the father but so i don't know if that answered your question or not exactly 
Yeah, it was interesting because you talked a lot about, I know in some of your work, the impact of abuse and how this can lead to, you know, when you're so self-centered, the harm of others. Uh, And so I think it's an important topic to unpack and connect to one another. And I think you gave kind of an example of that. So it's something to think about and really ponder the importance of working on narcissism and how narcissism can lead to that abusive type of relationship and pattern in our culture. I do want to come to, I think, an important question. Uh, Nicole called from Texas and she was asking about um, relationships with parents. She said she believes her father was a narcissist and sociopath. And um, I was wondering if you could talk to those challenging situations where, okay, you grow up in a relationship, a parental relationship, where the parent is a narcissist and here you are, you're moving into your adult life. How does that impact your relationships and your function and what might be something to work on or be red flags to be aware of? Right. Those are very difficult challenges. And many people decide, you know what, he's a dangerous person or he's an alcoholic or he's, I'm not going to put my children around it. They decide to cut off those relationships. And so usually with my clients, I walk through them and we look at what are the pros of, of that? What are the cons of that? And I, I never tell a client what to do, but I'm with them on their journey, right? Because when you, when you try to decide, do I cut this off or do I do I continue in the relationship, to, but I have a better understanding. I adjust my expectations like that. If you're going to continue in a relationship where you suspect this person has strong narcissism tendencies, like a father or mother, you have to adjust your expectation and know, well, this is how they function, right? And I'm not going to expect them to give me empathy when that's not their dynamic. And so you love them where they're at. And then you move into heavy, heavy, heavy forgiveness because mm. Jesus calls us 70 times seven to <laughs> forgive. Mm. So that's a big part of it. You have to walk that journey. Do I cut this off? Do I keep it somewhere in the middle or do I just, you know, see them every day? You know, it, it, that, that person has to figure out where and how much time they want to invest in these relationships and then do some self-protection. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect your children as well, uh, because especially if there's been physical abuse or alcoholism or sexual abuse, those are serious types of things that you want to consider. Safety. Safety is very important. And there's also uh, emotional abuse. You know, it maybe say, well, I didn't have physical or sexual abuse, but I had emotional abuse. We know from the study of brain and neuroscience that words have the power to hurt and wound the soul. So rather than a physical bruise, words bruise the soul and it can be an invisible curse that can last for generations, right? And so we need to to ponder this. What is the impact of this emotional abuse and how can I move into healing for that, right? How can I discharge my own anger, resentment, bitterness towards that? How can Mm. Jesus come and meet me in those deep invisible wounds that Mm. were there? Sounds like you're really recommending an evaluation of that relationship, seeking professional uh, guidance to help work through what's happening, what is a safe and healthy boundary. And a book I know a lot of therapists will recommend, especially Catholic therapists, because it's written from a Christian perspective, a biblical worldview, is boundaries. Um, Boundaries, when to say yes and how to say no to take control of your life. I'll post a link to that book on social media. Um, I think it's actually free for people who have Prime on Amazon. I just saw that right now as I'm looking at it. 
a free version on Kindle or you can pick it up, listen to it. But that is a book recommendation. I want to come back to the topic because I know you've written um, heavily on this, and that is the topic of narcissism in relation to personality disorder and mental illness and how that connects to domestic violence. When we aren't addressing um, that legitimate diagnosis of narcissism, as you explained, really is a personality disorder. Um, Again, seeking kind of that guidance and help and seeing, you know, how do we address the red flags before it becomes a domestic violence situation, as you talked about, you've seen in so many relationships and particularly marriages? I think safety is very important because many times, and you'll have pastors or, you know, different priests even tell, well, you you need to work this out. You need to work this out. And, you know, don't let the sun set on your anger. And then that leads to the couple fighting and fighting all night long. And with these type of individuals, there could be uh, throwing things. There could be fists flung. And so that's not always the right advice for someone that has an explosive personality and it physically abusive, right? And so some of that advice may not work in these situations. And what I would tell the person that sometimes it's more important to be safe than it is to continue to dialogue with this person that, you know, beyond a shadow of a dot has never really heard you and can't hear you, doesn't have the ability to hear you. And so sometimes you need to do more stepping away and more quiet for safety and avoidance than the actual resolution if it's going to be violent. I'd like to touch on a theological take on narcissism, especially from the perspective of spiritual theology, you know, that growth in virtue. You know, you think of narcissism and at the core of it, it's the sin of all sins, the primordial sin of pride, that self-centered, self-seeking, self-serving mentality that all of us have in ourselves in a certain respect, which is why I think narcissism is overly thrown around. But from a true psychological development perspective, it actually is a diagnosis and it is a personality disorder. But coming back to virtue, what is needed to combat pride in and of itself? Humility and gratitude. These are virtues that we can pray for, that we should all pray for, um, and things that we should try to seek ways to give ourselves, you know, the lesser opinion, to let others speak, to really listen. You know, maybe you struggle with empathy. Just practicing listening and repeating what the other person says is hurting them, even if you don't maybe feel for them, or maybe you don't think you understand, just repeating what the other person is saying. That's an act of humility to listen. It'll be, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak. You know, I think these are words, you know, James himself in sacred scripture tells us to engage in, in these difficult circumstances. But also, uh, I think trusting in God's providence, his timing, you know, to come away from that control that can so often enter in and so many of our lives that can be narcissistic tendencies. I think those are so important and it's important to help form, you know, those around us, especially children and having that humility and gratitude and trusting God's providence, his generosity and timing to combat the crisis of narcissistic, prideful tendencies in our culture. Any final thoughts on the topic, Michelle Muff? I think what what I often tell couples too is if they're working on their relationship, if you have a partner that you say, hey, could you, I'm just going to give a dumb example, you know, don't leave this toilet seat up anymore. And they really try and they don't do that anymore. They hear you and they listen and they change their behavior. Then that's really, you got to look for those little things. Where have I set a boundary? And then they came around and said, okay, I hear you. I'm going to try to change this, right? So that's a good sign and for hope because nobody's going to be perfect, right? But if someone's able to hear your concern 
and then move towards change on either side, you can kind of latch on to that and say, okay, there's some hope here that this, this is changeable, right? And the opposite is true. If you continually go back, continually, nothing is changing. It's just, they're not hearing you, you know, then more than likely they're not going to hear you again, right? From that side. And from, if someone's struggling more on the self-centered side, right, that humility is really going to help them. The ability to listen, to work on labeling emotions, understanding emotional intelligence, mm. how important that is to be other focused, whereas the codependent actually needs to move into giving up the idol of the other and moving into self and then upward towards Christ. Mm, that was a lot packed in that like, just a minute or two here when you're speaking, you know, someone struggling with this. I hope you go back and listen to that because that was very keen guidance from Michelle Muff, licensed marriage and family therapist, finder at Compassion Counseling Services online. That's CompassionMN.com. We'll post a link on social media as well as in today's episode notes for the podcast. If you want to find that, maybe share this with someone you know who's struggling with this crisis of narcissism themselves. We'll be right back here on Trending talking about the Trinity. listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. So last week was the feast day of St. Patrick, and I was discussing how we'll cover the Trinity and discussing about the Trinity. You know, it, it's such a an important topic. It's a central tenet of our faith. Um, we know this in one respect because a way that we pray, we begin and end prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that glory be as well that we uh, have had in the history of the liturgy over and over again throughout the Mass. It's interesting because that symbol of the cross across our bodies, along with saying the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, is invoking the Trinity. It's a teaching of the Trinity. It's pointing to the cross as a symbol of the Trinity, the Trinitarian function of the divine person's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if you want to grasp a basic understanding of the Trinity, start with pondering the cross in relation to those words in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, a really great way to start to work on our understanding of who God is in the Trinity is this one, two, three approach. We know God is one. So we have one God, we also know that God has two natures. How does God have two natures? Because Jesus Christ became incarnate. He became a human being, but he was both fully divine and fully human. And so we know God has two natures. So one God, two natures, being both human and divine. Uh, Jesus' humanity and divinity can't be separated from one another. And then the third dimension is that we have three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the one, two, three explanation to start in developing what we come to know and understand of the mystery of the Trinity. And that is central, that it is a mystery in and of itself. One God, two natures, three persons. That's the basis. And then from there, I really want to encourage you to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. If you don't own one, buy one, but you can also read for free online. Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 232 through 267. Give us a really great baseline in pondering the mystery of God as a trinity. 
In fact, it talks about how the Trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. Let's think about that for a moment. So that means that the Trinity is something that is a mystery, meaning it's never fully understood here on earth. And that means that it requires humility as human beings being finite creatures dependent upon the creator, that is God who we are made to be with and who functions through the gift of unmerited grace to draw us to himself. Again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says the Trinity is a central mystery of Christian faith and life. Why of Christian faith? Because faith requires we have this belief and trust in God. Now, there's a lot of conversation about blind versus non-blind faith. You know, we have to have trust and faith and belief in God, not knowing it all. If we actually believe that God is all-powerful, if God is omniscient, right, all-knowing, if we believe these things, that we as human beings are dependent upon God, we also recognize our finite, dependent nature upon him and that we don't understand or get everything. We don't function perfectly. We're imperfect in the need of God's grace and mercy. And so that faith required for pondering the central mystery of our faith being the Trinity, that means that we need both theology as well as divine revelation. So in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, when it's talking about the Trinity, it talks about the theological dimension, the theologia, as well as the oikonomia, which these are words that we dive into and you hear a lot of Latin and Greek when it comes to theology. The theology especially focuses on the great mystery of God in combination with what is known in Catholic theology as the oikonomia, being the divine revelation. So we have this divine revelation of who God is how he functions, how he's interacted in the, in the Son, the person of Jesus Christ. In all of the biblical texts of the Old Testament and New, God intervening in human life and time and space, we get a glimpse of who God is. And so that's where we start with coming to understand him and then also understanding the gift of the mystery of the theology of who God is. All of this makes up that aspect of the mystery of the Trinity and the necessity of faith for us in coming to love God and know him now, but come into the fullness of knowledge of God one day in heaven, which requires hope, that we have hope in the life to come. This is why these are central elements of the Apostles' Creed, of, of the Nicene Creed that we pray. Again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says the Trinity is a central mystery, as we just discussed, of Christian faith and of life. We talked about the mystery how it's a part of Christian faith. We need that faith, but also of our day-to-day -day life, meaning that in our day-to-day -day life, we should carry with us God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing this great mystery marks in a very poignant way our lives as Christians. In a certain respect, in multiple ways, we know this in terms of the fact that we have the life of God within us especially when, when we are in a state of grace, should we say, when we're receiving the sacraments. when And this is what's so frightening. When we sin, when we are in a state of mortal sin, we sever the life of God within ourselves. We separate ourselves from the divine grace working in us. This is why confession is so important. And this is why staying in a state of grace, regularly receiving the sacraments, going to confession will help us in being faithful to that central tenet of the mystery of the Trinity and living and pondering the mystery of the Trinity in our lives. 
And we're meant to do this constantly. And we talk about how we're called to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? That means that we ponder the knowledge we do have of our faith, but we also ponder and might I argue admire the mystery of our faith and the gift of our dependence upon God. That requires humility. I think this is one of the reasons why people struggle in the 21st century to accept faith, to accept God, because humility is not something that is preached by the secular pop culture today. Yet, in a certain respect, I would argue that the Trinity is something so fundamentally important to us in that fact that we have this blueprint written into our bodies of natural dependency on God, of the fall of humanity and the need for perfection, but also through understanding that the way we come into this world is through relationships. And something so fundamental about the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is that we have this teaching of the three persons of the Trinity because of their relationship one to another. So again, I would argue in summary in this brief conversation about the Trinity, understanding God as one God, having two natures, human and divine in Jesus Christ, but also that those three persons in that relationship of God the Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, and the gift of the Holy Spirit alive working in our lives, and that we are dwelling places of God. And this is why we need to stay in that state of grace so that we can continue to have that faith in the Trinity, to ponder the mystery, to be in awe of it, and to live out the gift of God present within our own lives. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Coming up next is the Family Rosary Across America. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Wednesday is our weekly Gentleman's Hour. We're going to talk about how a man can be a protector and a defender of his loved ones, as well as answering that question that men, you can weigh in on. Why is it so important to men that their wife is a good cook? I've heard many men say it's important they marry a woman who knows how to cook. Join me daily at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.